Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. We are starting a new teaching series called The Lost Parables of Jesus. Now, long before there was a Nintendo Switch, long before there was a Game Boy Advance, Long before the GameCube and the Nintendo 64, which was the coolest video game system ever when you're 13 years old in the entire world, uh, I did go buy that at Best Buy. That was a thing back in the day. Um, before there was the 64, there was uh, something called the Super Nintendo. Oh, the Super Nintendo is special. But even before the Super Nintendo, there was the original, the 1980s. NES. I don't know how many of you remember it. It was the Nintendo Entertainment System. How many of you, by a show of hands, have ever played on the original Nintendo? Yes! Come on. Some of you, um, I don't know how your hand's not up because this was like my childhood. It was the big box. You remember the cartridges? They were massive and you had to slide them in just right, but first you had to go... You had to blow the dust out of them, slide the cartridge in, then push it down. Remember, it had that little hinge. And then, if you were lucky, you would gently close the door and hit the power button, and it would come on. But if it didn't, then everybody had their own method to get it to work. Some people would say, no, you got to slam the door and hit the power at the same time. Other people say, no, you got to hold the reset button while you hit the power. Everybody had a method, and we all figured out how to get it on, and then it was so epic, and we all played the same game. You guys remember what it was? It was Super Mario Brothers, which is in theaters now. Not a plug for it at all. I haven't seen it. But, but on that game, do you also remember what there was? Duck hunt. That's right. In the 80s, we just issued guns to kids for video games and said, this is great. (laughs) Not making any type of statement, but it was awesome. We had Duck Hunt. We had Super Mario Brothers. And and I love Super Mario Brothers. Um, The Nintendo Entertainment System, for those of you who don't know, was so advanced that it actually came with two controllers. But you both couldn't play at the same time. You know, you had to take turns. So like Mario would play and Luigi's waiting. And then it was Luigi's turn. And so you took turns. It taught sharing. Not a thing that we know anymore about Xbox and PlayStation. (laughs) And so you would take turns playing the game and it was so cool. It was so awesome. I remember the first time I played a Nintendo. Um, I don't know if you guys have that memory, but it's so embedded in me. Uh, My parents didn't love me enough to buy me one. And so there was a neighborhood kid, though, who had one. And so the kid invited me over. It was like kindergarten. And and, and it was this girl. She was like, do you want to play my brother's Nintendo? And I was like, what is that? And then I never forgot. I walked into the brother's bedroom, and he had a tube TV. And some of you guys know what that is. It weighs about as much as I do. And the screen's just a little bigger than your cell phone. It was like a 9-inch or a 13-inch TV. And, And I was forever changed as I played this video game. And so I went home and was like, mom, dad, I got to have it. And they're like, no. And so then, then, then what happened was I went over to my cousin, my cousin Natalie's here and her parents loved her. And so they bought her, they bought her a super Nintendo and it was amazing. The graphics were better. There was a new Mario, but she had a game and I'll never forget it. It was called Super Mario All-Stars. And you put in one cartridge and it had Super Mario 1 And it had Super Mario 2. You guys remember number two? It was cool. You could pick your player at the beginning. You could pick up vegetables and throw them. I don't know what it was about, but that was Super Mario 2. And then Mario 3 came out and my mind was blown. They had the Super Leaf. Do you remember it? You'd hit the box and it would would come down. (laughs) 
And if you grab the leaf, what did you turn into? You turned into raccoon, Mario. And if you ran fast enough, had the power meter, and then you'd fly, and then you could float down. Some of you guys are like, yes, I totally remember Mario 3. So this one game on the Super Mario, it had all of these, but then as I was scrolling through them, there was a Mario game I had never seen before. It was called Super Mario Brothers, The Lost Levels. And I was like, what? is this hidden gem. How is this possible that there was a Mario game that I've never played? It was, it was lost, and as like a seven-year-old, I was like, they lost the levels. <laughs> and they found them, and they put them on here, and it was just like Super Mario 1, but the hardest game you've ever played in your life. I don't know what they did to it, but it was so hard, and so I did a little research, and I actually found this out, that this game was actually called Super Mario 2, and they released it in Japan, but Nintendo of America, whoever they are, said, this game is too difficult for Americans. We will not sell it here. And so it was never distributed in the United States. The first time it hit us was on Super Mario All-Star, and I was like, what are these lost levels? And so it was so exciting to, to play this game and to see these, these lost levels. And so uh, just a couple years ago, COVID-19 hit. Uh, there's a Christian recording artist named Toby Mack. Some of you guys might have heard of him. And so what he did, he was stuck in quarantine. He was in his house. He couldn't do anything. So he started going through old devices he had, and he found a whole bunch of songs that never made the albums. He wrote them, he'd recorded them, he'd mastered them, but for whatever reason, they never made the album. So he let out a new album during COVID, and it was called The Lost Demos. Ooh, it was kind of cool, you know? Hearing kind of the backstory. And so I'm telling you all of this because today we're kicking off a new series that's titled The Lost Parables of Jesus. And some of you are like, what does that mean? Are there really lost parables? Did we just find them? Is this an extra biblical teaching? Pastor Alex, you're not teaching from something other than the Bible, are you? And I'm here to tell you, no, I am not teaching from something other than the Bible. The lost parables, as a very cool play on words, is not parables that were lost, but rather parables about lost things. See what I did there? Yeah, I just saw the light bulb turn on on some of you. Yeah, so good. And so what we're going to be doing for the next three weeks is we're going to be looking at three parables that Jesus told about lost things, whether it was a lost uh, person or a lost thing, he had these stories, and each of them had a meaning, and all three stories are found in Luke chapter 15. So that's where we're going to be headed today. But I need to do a little frequently asked questions portion of our message before we move forward, because some of you might be asking, what is a parable? What, what, what are you speaking of? What is this word? What does this mean? So here's my definition. I'll put it on the screen for you. It is a short story with symbolic speech and word pictures that makes a point. That's kind of what a parable is. It's just a short story, and it's got some symbolism in it, and you kind of picture it in your head, and at the end of it, it's, it's actually making a point. Maybe that point is for you to understand something, or maybe that point is for you to do something, but the purpose of the parable is to communicate something in a way that could transform your life, that you would understand. So then people ask, well, why did Jesus use parables? And as I thought about that question, I think that Jesus used parables because maybe He's the greatest communicator to ever live. I know we don't think about Jesus as the greatest communicator ever, but he actually perfectly communicated to us what the love of Jesus, what the love of God is. In himself, he brought the love of God to humanity through his life, death, 
and resurrection like we celebrated last week. Like he might be the best communicator ever. And because he was a great communicator, he chose to use parables. And, and I know you know this, people engage with stories. Was there any reason for me to talk about my past with Nintendo? Not really. Other than you engaged with it. And some of you are like, I remember Duck Hunt. I remember. I remember these things. And so Jesus had huge crowds of people who wanted to hear him talk. And, and we don't think about that. We sometimes think about Jesus and his 12 disciples, but he literally had hundreds and sometimes thousands of people saying, I gotta hear this guy talk. He didn't have a sound system. He didn't have an amphitheater. He would walk over by like the water's edge, get on a boat and let like natural acoustics work so more people could hear him. They were just like, I gotta hear him. It was awesome. He was an excellent communicator and he chose to use parables. Now, parables not only were engaging for people, but they also kind of have the ability to transcend time. You realize like Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago and we're still talking about the stories that he spoke today. Those stories that he said back then are still applicable to us today. He spoke them in a Jewish context 2,000 years ago, but the symbolism and the things he used, oh man, is there somebody, God, is that you? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> there is this, these stories, and they've transcended time. And, and, and so around the world in every culture, these have been able to be used and shared and still have meaning. And here's the third reason why I think Jesus used parables, is that while parables are in a language everyone understands, there's also a mystery to them. And so if you were hard-hearted, you didn't really understand what he was saying. And so we read often that the, 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 the Pharisees, kind of the, the religious elite of the day, they would hear Jesus' parables, but the Bible says that they would be ever hearing but never understanding. They would be ever seeing but never perceiving. And I think this is the key to parables, and I don't want you to miss this. We'll put it on the screen for you, is that parables require listeners to be self-aware, you have to know yourself and almost have almost a self-criticalness in order to hear this. Parables require listeners to be self-aware and appropriately place themselves in the parable. Who are you in the parable? What's the symbolism for you? Who's the symbolism of God? So parables are tricky because they require us to be aware of ourselves and then to appropriately place ourselves in the story. So let me give you the setup and then we're gonna jump into today's lost parable. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus is a Jew living in a Jewish community. The culture of that time was what we would call a shame and honor-driven society. We don't tend to think about this, but, but Jews would have used shame or honor to create almost a caste system of where you belong in the class of people. And so if you held yourself well, and you were a person of honor, and everything you did was honorable, we would put you in this camp of people. But then, like, if you were a sinner, you are a tax collector, you were an adulterer, you were a liar, you were a thief, you were a robber, you did shameful things, things that some people shouldn't talk about, then, then you got put over in this category. And so for Jews who were being raised in this culture of every decision I make is going to either bring honor to me or it's going to be, bring shame, I got, they were really focused on what I'm doing, on how it's perceived. And so if you can imagine, if everything was honor and shame-based, if I did something shameful, I would try to hide it because I wouldn't want to be associated with those that were in this camp. 
If I did something shameful, I need to, to hide that and I need to carry myself. I need to be above it. I need to be more honorable than that. I want to be seen with esteem. And so when we encounter our story here, the, the culture of this day is shame and honor. And the primary motivation people had for what they did and how they did it was on seeking honor and trying to avoid shame. And so as we open our Bibles to Luke chapter 15, and I'll put the verses on the screen for you, what we're going to find is that Jesus is hanging out with some tax collectors and sinners. Like, that's who he's hanging out with. And, and these were not people who would have been considered people of honor. Their lives, to many, was seen as shameful. And when Jesus is hanging out with them, people were concerned about Jesus because if you're hanging out with them, you're not really focused on honor. You're, you're shaming yourself. You're hanging out with bad company. Hey, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Jesus, I don't think this is looking good for you. I don't think you should be hanging out with them. And so the tax collectors, and some of you are like, yeah, taxes are due right now, aren't they? Yes, make sure you do your taxes. Um, really, tax collectors throughout history have not changed. Nobody really likes them. <laughs> and in Jesus' day, tax collectors were some of the most hated people in all of Israel. And here's why. It was because they were Jewish. They were of the same nationality of everybody else. But instead of associating and staying connected as a Jew, they said, you know what? I'm going to work for the man. I'm going to work for the Roman government. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take money from my people and give it to them. And then I'm going to take a little bit extra and pad my pocketbook. And so these tax collectors, people hated them. They hated when the tax man came knocking because he was trying to get money for Rome and then he's gonna overtax me and he's living in the big house, driving the nice car. I mean, I don't know back then, like riding a great horse, you know, he was living it different than everybody else. And so these tax collectors chose to side with the Roman government and defraud their own people and so they were hated. And so we have Jesus here, all the tax collectors and sinners, they were coming near Jesus to listen to him. <laughs> this is wild. Jesus is hanging out with these guys because they want to spend time with him. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they see this and they believe that Jesus is going beyond just trying to like minister to the underclass of the world. He's going too far. He's not just associating with them. He's actually sitting down. He's eating with them. He has actually gone beyond anything that we need. He's beginning to actually recognize these people as real people. They're not just a class of people that's beneath him. He's actually associating himself and considering them to be with him equals of same value. And for the religious elite, this makes no sense because they're people of honor. And Jesus is a teacher of law. He should be a person of honor. How can he do this? He doesn't understand the value system here. So as we look at this parable, I want us to notice just how Jesus flips these cultural values upside down because just because there's cultural values doesn't mean that they're godly values. So check this out. Here we go. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. There's a sign of Jesus. Like people who are not religious, people who don't want to have anything to do with God, they want to hang out with Jesus. That's pretty awesome. And both the Pharisees and the scribes, they began to complain, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. I don't think that these guys would have had a problem if Jesus was just preaching to the adulterers and the robbers, the cheats, the liars, the drunks, and the like. But now he's sitting down and eating with them. Like, it'd be okay if you associate, but don't eat with them. You're, you're showing that you accept them and recognize them. And the Pharisees and scribes, 
They, 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 couldn't, they couldn't do this. Like, who does Jesus think he is? Like, it's one thing. You could talk to them, but never treat them with equality. Never accept them and recognize them. What are you doing? And so as I was putting this message together, I was thinking about this. I was like, man, I'm so glad I am not like a Pharisee. I am so glad I'm not like a scribe. I was like patting myself on the back. I was like, I am a good Christian. I don't look down on people. I don't see people in a different class. I love people. I accept people. And then I was like, you know, God was like, hey, wait a second. I know all things, Alex. And I was like, oh, yeah? And, uh, and so all of a sudden, I was picturing myself driving downtown in my car, and I was approaching a stoplight, and on the corner was a homeless person. And I noticed myself making sure the doors were locked, and I noticed myself rolling the window up. And I realized I'm going to hang on to 10 and 2, and I am going to keep my eyes focused straight ahead. I am not going to make eye contact with that person. I don't know if there's anything wrong in any one of those actions, but I'll tell you this. My attitude towards that person wasn't right. I did not see them as an equal. I didn't want to recognize them. I wanted to act as though they did not exist. Well, I had to stop patting myself on the back because like the Pharisees and the scribes, I would have a hard time associating, let alone sitting down and having a meal. A few years back, I, uh, I pulled up to a, to a stoplight in Gladstone, and uh, there was a, a woman who um, obviously uh, was in need of a ride. Um, she was standing there hoping that someone would pick her up. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to try to be more Jesus-like, and I'm going to wave, but I'm not going to give her a ride. You know, we got to draw the line somewhere. And so... Uh, so I, I waved, and uh, she indicated that as, hey, this guy's going to give me a ride. And so uh, all of a sudden, um, her name was Rosemary. Uh, Rosemary was in my passenger seat, and, uh, and uh, I, I was running errands. I, I needed to go to Home Depot. Uh, she wanted to go to High V, and so uh, I didn't really turn for High V, so I took her to Home Depot with me. And, uh, and I had this moment of, do I leave her in my car? And then I was like, do I have money in my car? Is she going to rob from me? Is she going to steal from me? Do I, what do I do in this moment? So I say, hey, you need to come inside Home Depot with me and do an errand, and then I'll take you where you want to go. So me and Rosemary walk throughout Home Depot together. And i trying to find out her story. And so we're talking, and, and there's that thing in me of like, people are associating me with this person. This is not a person I would choose to typically associate with. I wonder what my image looks like right now. I wonder what would happen if somebody I knew from the old days, like somebody from high school, hey, how are you doing? I don't want them to think that I'm with this person. Like, oh, no, no, like this isn't, I didn't pick this. Like this was picked for me, you know? And so I realized that there was this thing in me that was, was having a difficult time loving someone who might be seen as an outcast someone who is different than me. And, and Rosemary was great. I took her to Home Depot, then we got back in my car, then I drove her to Hy-Vee, and, and I never saw Rosemary again. And then I read that verse in the Bible, it's like, you know, I wonder if we entertain angels unaware. I was like, is Rosemary an angel? I don't know. But it said something about me. And as I'm reading the story, I realize 
that even though as a Christian and as a pastor, I like to think, oh no, I don't have any of that. Unfortunately, I'm still a work in progress. And so verse three, we have this story going on, but verse three says, and so when all this is going down, Jesus is saying it out with these sinners. He's associated with, he doesn't have any of the inner conflict I would have, like, "Uh uh-oh, I wonder who's gonna see me. No, they're seeing him and he's like, hey, he's just embracing the moment. And so because this tension's happening and they're complaining and they're whispering to one another about "Ah, how can he be this way? He decided to tell them this parable. That's how Jesus rolls. Well, hey, I got a short story with some symbolism and word pictures. Are you ready? So here's the story he says in light of this situation. And so we'll read this in its entirety, and then we'll come back and pull out some application points. Verse 3, it says, And so he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the other 99 in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Verse five. And when he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my sheep that was lost. And Jesus wraps it up by saying, I I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need for repentance. I want to give you three takeaways from our lost parable. Number one, Jesus doesn't run from sinners. He runs to them. Verse four, it says, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the other 99 in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? See, this shepherd in our story focuses all of his attention, all of his energy, all of his care on recovering the lost sheep. And there's a couple things I want you to notice. He is going to go after the one who is lost until he finds it. See, this shepherd is committed. He is going out. He's not just kind of like like I might be, like, you know, I don't know if you know this or not. I'm not an animal person. Some of you, it might not come as a shock. Uh, I I have a, a strict no pet policy in my home. If you think that my kids are neglected, they can come play with your pet. And then when they're done, they're going to come home to a pet-free, dander-free home. It's going to be great. It's wonderful. So I I don't have an animal thing. So if I was the man who had 100 sheep and I lost one, can I tell you what my attitude would be? Eh. You know, if we're rounding, I still have like 100. 99, like 99 is pretty good. Like that's a lot of sheep, you know. And apparently that one didn't want to be here. If he wanted to be with the crowd, he'd have stuck with the crowd, you know. So hey, you know. I would just cut my losses and I, I would move on. I, and so like, he's gonna go after this one until he finds it. Here's how much I would look for a sheep. I might go on my tiptoes and look. Uh, here, here. That's it. 
This shepherd's like, I'm leaving this whole thing. I got to go find it. I got to go find the sheep and I'm going to look until I find it. I mean, he is committed. He is passionate. He is on a mission. He is going to be undeterred. He is coming. He is fearless. He's not worried. He has an assignment and it is to save the lost sheep. I don't know if you know this. There's no reason for Jesus to think of us any better than I think of sheep. We've done nothing to deserve his love. We've done nothing to merit him leaving the 99 to come for us. But but he loves us. He, He doesn't just love the group, he loves individuals. And he notices when one is gone. Years ago, I was coaching a, a group of high school distance runners. Um, a lot of you guys know I've coached uh, distance runners for, for a long, long time. And so uh, it was the beginning of a track season. I got freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors. Juniors and seniors are great. They know what to do. They've been with me. They're experienced. Freshmen, freshmen of their own breed. I'm just letting you know their brain's not fully developed, I don't think. So what we would do is we would go on a road run. And so I would have to be like very specific, like, hey, we're going to go on a road run. We're going to leave the school premises. Here's where we're going to go. And so I would tell them even street names. Like it wasn't like general directions. It wasn't like women telling directions like, well, you're going to see a red barn, and then you're going to take a left. It was nothing like that. Okay? It wasn't like that. It was like, listen, we're going to run commercial down to Main Street. You know what Main Street is? It's the big street. Then we're going to turn left. Everybody raise your left hand. If it doesn't look like an L, that's not your left. So I walk through them so where they know exactly where they're to go. We go down Main Street, and then we're going to turn on Bridge Street. Do you know why it's called Bridge Street, guys? Oh, it has a bridge on it. Bro, I've lived here my whole life, didn't I? So, so we walk through the whole route. And so then I'm a, I'm a good coach. Like, I don't just send them off. No, I actually run with them so they don't get lost. Like, I'm a good shepherd. I got even like under shepherds. I got other coaches running with them. So I'm up there and I say, you know what? So they don't get lost. I need to run with the front pack. Because if the front pack gets lost, everybody's following them. See? I'm thinking. So I get up front. I make sure we're good. We run this whole thing. It's a big loop, four miles. I end up back at the school, and then I'm waiting for everybody to come in. And everybody showed up, except for two freshman boys. Now, initially, I'm like, did they quit? Did we run by their house? Did they go inside? I found out later, there's a couple here who had a boy, um, They, uh, this was not when I was coaching, they had found a couch in the woods. (laughs) And what they would do on the road run is they would wait for the coach to go and then they would go and sit down on the couch in the woods and look at their watch until it was about time to return and get up and run back. So I'm thinking, I wonder if the freshman found a couch. (laughs) I don't know what happened to the freshman. So I'm waiting, they all come back. So then I I said, I'm going to run back. So I ran back probably a half mile looking, looking down the hill, and they are nowhere in sight. Well, I'm also responsible for them. I also care about them, and anything can happen in our world today. So then I ran back, and I left my team at the high school, and I got in my car, and I drove looking for the lost sheep. I didn't know where I was going to find. I don't know if they rolled their ankle and were hurt, I don't know if they crossed the street and a car hit them. 
I don't know if this was one of the kids that didn't know he had a heart condition and this collapsed on the side of the road. I don't exactly know what I'm going to find. But you know what? I'm going to look and go after those kids until I find them. Nothing else matters. I was not going to go home and have dinner and spend time with my family. No, I was not going to do anything until those boys were found. I was going to stay out all night if I had to. I was going to find those boys. And my attitude towards those boys is different than sheep because those people mattered. These are people's sons. These are souls that God created. God loves them. And I wasn't willing to let them just disappear. Luckily, I did find them. And they were so tired. They said, Coach, we got so far behind, we couldn't see where anybody else went. We, we tried to remember the directions, but we got all twisted about. And so when I found them, they were, they were walking slow. They're, they're hurting. They're wore out. They were trying to find the group, and they couldn't find them. And I said, it's okay. Hop in. And we drove to the school where they could be reunited with the team. Look at what God says that the good shepherd does next after he, he found this lost sheep. And this is verse 5. It says that when he had found it, he, he put it on his shoulders rejoicing. Uh, second takeaway I want you to get from this passage here is that Jesus doesn't beat down sinners. He actually lifts them up. I mean, how incredible. I mean, I love the response. I mean, he's full of joy. He's rejoicing. He's found the lost sheep. He has embraced it. He's thrown it over his neck. He's rejoicing. Jesus doesn't come in like so many of us think he might. Hey, you stupid sheep, where have you been? Like, what are you doing? Didn't you see the other 99 leave? Why didn't you stay with them? Hey, didn't you hear my voice? I'm the voice of the shepherd. I said, we're going over here. Why didn't you come along? You disobedient, rebellious, no good, dirty, rotten, mean-spirited. You probably meant to do this. You probably trying to get it to me because I didn't feed you well. What is your thing? Like, Jesus doesn't say or communicate any of that. He is so full of joy. It's not even like he feels it and he's hiding it. That's what I would be doing. I was a little hot when I found those freshmen. What are you doing? Because they came right around the corner from an ice cream shop, and I thought, you've been in that ice cream shop, haven't you? I was looking on their mouth for chocolate. I was trying to find out. They weren't. Jesus doesn't communicate any of that. He just is so thankful. He's so full of joy. He found the lost sheep. And verse 6 says, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. When's the last time you called your neighbors to do anything? Probably been a while. And he says to them, rejoice with me because I have found my sheep that was lost. It's almost as though the shepherd has got so much joy, he can't handle it himself. He's like, I need somebody to help share this with. Here, take some of my joy. This is so exciting. I found my sheep. Help relieve me. I'm overwhelmed with joy. Let's do this together. That would be so good. And so he, he gets these others to help in sharing his joy. And then he brings this verse at verse 7. He says, I tell you in the same way, here's the symbolism there will be more joy in heaven. I don't know if you ever thought about it. There's joy in heaven. And, and, and it's measurable. 
there's going to be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Third takeaway for us today is that Jesus is excited for you to come home. He is excited for you to come home. Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and notorious sinners. He's exampling for all of us the love of God, and it's being contrasted with the exclusiveness of man that the Pharisees and the scribes had. He's showing just the opposite of what the Pharisees and scribes had. He's showing what God is truly like. See, Jesus isn't mad at you. Jesus isn't looking to punish you. Jesus is just ready for you to come home. And as we started today, I shared the key to parables. See, parables require listeners to be self-aware and appropriately place themselves in the story. I think that we all get that Jesus is the shepherd. But in the story, we are the lost sheep. Imagine that you are the lost sheep. Imagine that you are with the flock. You are under the care of the shepherd, and somehow, some way, you wandered. And when you looked up, you found yourself all alone. You found yourself unprotected. You found yourself having to go through life in your own strength. There might be some moments of self-condemnation. How could I do this? How could I have lost the flock? How could I have wandered astray? You might be beating yourself up and saying, I don't know how this could have happened. And in that self-condemnation, you know that there's got to be despair. I've got to find the flock. I've got to get back to where I used to be. And you work and you run and you try to find them only to feel hopeless. Everywhere I looked, I couldn't find them. Everywhere I looked, I couldn't get back to the path. And like my runners who got lost, your energy is gone. I don't don't have the strength anymore to keep looking. Maybe this is just my lot in life. I'm just going to be the lost sheep. But can you imagine in that moment how exciting it would be to see the shepherd around the corner? He doesn't have fire in his eyes. He's not angry. Oh, His face just lit up. Oh, he's so excited to see you. You don't even know what to do. Here he is. And he runs to you and he picks you up. He doesn't just come and say, hey, there you are. Come follow me. He says, come here. He picks that sheep up. I don't know if you think about this, but that sheep being restored to where he was supposed to be, that sheep going back and becoming a part of the flock, that sheep becoming part of the family it belonged in, It didn't do it in its own power. It was the shepherd's strength that provided the way back for the sheep. See, you don't have to do it on your own. Truth is, you can't do it on your own. You need a shepherd to lift you and carry you back to where you belong. And only he, only he can restore you. The question I have is, have you recognized that you are the lost sheep? Have you recognized that that's you? That I have wandered and walked away 
I know so many people who, who grew up in church and then left, and they have yet to come back. But what if? What if Jesus has been pursuing you? What if he's been going after you, and he's just waiting for you to say, Jesus, I'm ready to come home. How can I tell you, friends, Jesus is ready to pick you up. He's ready to give you his strength to help restore you back. There's nothing you've done that's made you too far away. No, our God is a God who can redeem anything, even you, even your past, even where you've been, but you gotta allow him to carry you. If today you say, you know what? Pastor Alex, I do think that that's me. I do think that I've been that lost sheep. I do think that I have wandered from what God wanted for me and I want to return. Well, I wanna just give you a simple prayer to pray. See, I think God already sees your heart. I think that he knows you. He knows where you're at. But here's what I would want you to say, and maybe you could just close your eyes for a moment just to block out distractions. And maybe you could say in your own heart, here I am, Jesus. I need you. Forgive me for wandering and please accept me back into your family. If you're that lost sheep, make those words your own. Here I am, Jesus. I need you to save me. Forgive me for wandering and welcome me back into your family. Friends, I believe that if you mean that, from the core of your being. Oh, there's a party going on in heaven right now. Our verse said it, verse seven, it says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to join heaven in the celebration. And so I don't know what God's doing right now in your heart. I don't know what he's doing with people who are watching online, but I believe that there are people who are turning their hearts saying, Jesus, here I am, save me. And so would you join me? And let's just put our hands together and let's celebrate what's going on in people's hearts right now. Come on. When you talk to the lost sheep, they're like, I don't know what happened, but I was found and my life was radically changed. And so, man, there is a joy and it is a small step, but it's a turning and a posturing of your heart saying, God, I'm not gonna resist you. Yes. And so I wanna give you guys just a couple next steps before we're out of here. Um, Missy had talked about on your seat backs, there's a QR code. Um, really a very cool thing. If you don't know how a QR code works, you gotta get your phone out, you gotta turn your camera on, you gotta point it at it. And when you do, you're gonna see a little bubble pop up. Click the bubble, and it's gonna take you to our church website. If you say, I don't wanna do QR codes, just go to newlifekc.com, and on the bottom right of the page is a plus button. When you push that, uh, what's gonna pop up is going to be a number of options for you. And so if you are here and you said, you know what, I have just prayed for Jesus to save me. I want to begin to pursue a relationship with Jesus. Well, I think the first thing you need to do is you need to tell somebody. You don't need to go through this alone. Don't try to do life alone, and we're better together. And so the first button you're gonna see is connect with us. You can click that, you can tell us who you are, and at the bottom there's just a space you can say, hey, I'm pursuing Jesus for the first time. Man, tell us so we can celebrate with you and we can support you. The second thing is on there, outside of that connect with us, you can click at the bottom, it says see more next steps, and there's a link that says new believers Bible plan. 
And what I want to encourage you to do is to start to read the Bible. Uh, we believe that the Bible is inspired by God and that it's helpful for us to know how we're supposed to live our life. And so if you would click that, what it's going to do, it's going to prompt you to download a Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app already on your phone, download that, and it's going to open up a 21-day Bible reading plan. All you're going to do is read one chapter of the Bible a day for 21 days, and it's going to take you through the book of John. So you're going to learn all about Jesus' life. And with it, there's a little devotional that you can read at the beginning. And the cool thing about the Bible app is you're like, I don't know, I'm not a good reader. You can hit a button and it will play it for you. It will just start John chapter one. And you can even change the voice. It's that cool. You can speed it up if they talk too slow for you. You can do whatever. But I wanna encourage you to begin to put new things in you. If we're gonna live a new life, we're gonna have to do new things. If we're gonna go where we've never been before, we're gonna have to do things we've never done before. We're gonna have to start changing what we're feeding our soul with. So two things, connect with us, let us know so that we can celebrate with you and we can pray for you and then begin that new Bible plan. Now, that's for, for those of you who are saying, yeah, I'm stepping over, I wanna do that, I wanna move towards Christ. But what about all you old Christians? What about you 99 that were left in the past year? Yeah, what about you all? There's a next step for you too. I ain't leaving you out. Here's my challenge for you. If Christ cares for the sheep who is far off, weak, and hurting, then you should love and care for those who are far from God too. How many people have we judged rather than showing compassion? It's easy uh, for us to rejoice when someone comes to faith. Um, that's way easier than actually going and sitting down and having a meal with the hurting, the diseased, the sinful. But if we're to take Jesus teaching seriously, we should be like him and seek the lost sheep. We should be meeting with and showing love to people who are far from God. We should be building relationships with people who might turn some heads and start some rumors. If we follow Jesus' example, we're called to associate with these people and share the gospel with them through our actions and words, not because they're our pet project that's below us, no, but because they are God's creation and God loves them just as much as he loves you. And then if they come to Christ, we gotta be a church that's full of joy. Ah, we don't look down and say, oh, look at your past. No, man, we're so excited that you're here. So for the 99, who can you connect with over coffee or lunch or have to your house for dinner to show the love of God. Your next step's harder than flicking a button. Let's take a next step this week and let's see just what God might do. Would you all stand with me? I want to encourage you. Uh, we're going to have some regroups. You don't know what that is. Essentially, we're grouped together now. We're going to regroup in smaller groups throughout the building. And so they last until noon. So that's about 57 minutes. They'll have a dismissal time. And what you'll do is you'll Come into the group and you'll be able to meet some people. And what you guys are going to discuss is this lost parable. And you're going to share, man, that really hit me. Or man, I don't know about Alex picking up, you know, uh, somebody that's a stranger on the street. You know, go talk about it. It's great. You know, you can, you know, say what you want. You can even talk about your hitchhiker story. I was with Pastor Stan. We picked up some people once. It was exciting. It was thrilling. You never know what's going to happen. That's a story for another time. But here's what I want to do. As is our tradition here, uh, we want to end with a benediction. Um, if you've grown up in church, you probably heard this. This is found in Numbers. It's been spoken over God's people for thousands of years. And I would just like to say this blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine 
upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance and may he give you peace. We receive these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.